everyone, Kirk Hamilton here, and I've got some guitar-y goodness for you all this week. About a year ago, I recorded a Patreon bonus episode about the four types of electric guitar that you hear on the vast majority of recordings, particularly the recordings that I've talked about thus far on Strong Songs. It was a fun bonus episode to make, and it wound up being a lot more involved than I planned when I set out to make it. I recorded a lot of examples for this episode. So I'm going to be talking about some more guitar stuff in the near future, as I'm sure a lot of you know, I've been taking guitar lessons for the last year and a half, really kind of taking the instrument seriously for the first time, even though I've played it for many years. I'm only just now starting to actually learn the fretboard, transcribe some solos, and really feel like I have a handle on the instrument. I figured that would be a fun part of my own musical journey to share with listeners, so I'm going to be talking about some more guitar in the near future, and I wanted everyone to have a shared frame of reference, and I think this episode is a good part of that because it just has a lot of sort of basic guitar 101 literacy, what each type of guitar is for, what they all sound like. So I've brushed the bonus episode up, I've added some new material and some new examples, and here it is, I'm putting it out in the main feed. As always, just before we get started, a reminder that Strong Songs is entirely listener-supported. I really do need your support to keep this show going, because I don't have ads and I don't have sponsors. Um, I think that it's preferable to just ask listeners to chip in. So if you like the show and you want to chip in and help me keep making it, go to patreon.com slash strong songs to become a patron of the show. And of course, you can also make a one-time donation. There's a link for that in the show notes. And I really, really appreciate all of you who have been patrons of the show or who have made a donation. Thank you so much. All right, well, it's time to talk guitars. So tune up, plug in, grab your picks, and let's get into it. I have talked about a lot of guitar-based songs in the five years that I have been making strong songs. I've talked about all different types of guitar sounds made by all different types of guitars. I'm going to be talking about even more guitar stuff in the near future, so I thought that first I'd just break down what I see as the big four guitars, electric guitars I should specify, I'm not talking about acoustic guitar here, that's its own whole world. But in terms of electric guitar, there's kind of four types of guitars that are the most common. So I'll take those four guitars and then break down how they sound, what recordings you've heard them on, both among previous strong songs, but also just out in the wild, famous recordings that you might be aware of that feature the guitar in question. And I'll just make this caveat up front, I'll only say it this one time, that I have played guitar for many years, I really enjoy the instrument and I've enjoyed learning about it, but I am a saxophonist first and foremost, and I can really only base any of this on my own tastes, on what my own ears tell me, and what I've heard and seen over the years. So the big four as I see them, two apiece from the two most famous guitar makers, Fender and Gibson. So first up we've got the Fender Stratocaster. A famous sounding spanky guitar that's commonly associated with blues and funk music. It also turns up in a lot of pop stuff. And then there's the Fender Telecaster. Which is their other famous model, a more bitey, twangy guitar that's often associated with pop country, but turns up just as often in indie rock and even harder stuff. And then there's Gibson. First, the Gibson Les Paul, a chunk of mahogany that weighs about 500 pounds. It has a really sharp bite and a mighty roar. The Les Paul is commonly associated with hard rock and heavy metal, but it actually turns up in some classic rock too. It's a great solo guitar. It has a long sustain and it can really sing and be beautiful sounding as often as it is used for more distorted, harder stuff. 
And then finally, there's the Gibson 335. A semi-hollow body guitar with a round, thick sound that's equally at home playing jazz, blues, pop, or rock. So those are the big four as I see them, the four types of guitars that I come across the most often and that turn up in the greatest percentage of classic recordings. They're also the four types of electric guitar that I own. Uh, That's not a coincidence. I went out and specifically got those four types because between those four guitars, I can pretty much go after the sound of just about any recording that I hear. So those are the four main categories as I see them, and they don't have to be associated with those brands that I said. Like, there are lots of companies and guitar makers that make Strat-type guitars. They're called S-type guitars, or Telecaster guitars, T-type guitars, that sound just like a Strat or a Telecaster. For a long time, I played a GNL Telecaster, which is called an ASAP, but it's a T-type guitar. It sounds just like a Telecaster. A lot of people I know play Sur guitars. Sur makes really high-end, kind of boutique Strat and Tele-type guitars. They're really nice from everything I've heard. Uh, Paul Reed Smith, PRS, a really high-end guitar maker, they make a Strat-type guitar that actually John Mayer plays one of those instead of a Strat these days. And that's not to mention Gibson. Because of the way that they're manufactured, Gibson guitars have historically been more expensive than Fender guitars. But lately, there are loads of brands making Gibson-style double humbucker guitars that sound fantastic. Uh, Companies like Sire, Eastman, even Gibson's own subsidiary, Epiphone, make terrific and much more affordable versions of the Les Paul and the 335, as well as a lot of other guitars, including some of the slightly less common Gibson models. So there's lots of other brands making these guitars. It's just I'm going to refer to them by the original brand because those are the guitars that I have, and that's kind of where it all started. And there are some other types of guitar that are just a little bit less common than those four, and they each do have their own tonal niche. Guitars like the Gibson SG, the Fender Jazzmaster, those guitars I don't have, and you know I'm not going to talk about them now, but they are cool instruments. I just want to acknowledge that they exist. But to reiterate, the Fender Stratocaster, or Strat, the Fender Telecaster, or the Tele, the Gibson Les Paul, and the Gibson 335. So let's go through some examples of famous recordings that use each of those guitars. So let's start with the Fender Stratocaster, and if you're gonna talk Strat, you've gotta talk about the king of all Strat players, Jimi Hendrix. So the Strat was introduced in 1954. You'll find that each of these guitars was first made in the 1950s. And a little over a decade later, Jimi Hendrix leaned into all of this guitar's tonal flexibility to really show people what it could do. So each of these guitars sounds different than the others in part because of the wood that they're made out of and in part because of what types of pickups they use. When you strum an electric guitar, it makes a sound on its own. You've probably done that if you play guitar, you've heard it. It's not a loud sound, but it is the sound of the actual instrument, the wooden thing with strings strung across it. The pickups are little magnets in the middle of the instrument. They're on the surface directly underneath the steel strings over the body of the guitar. And when the string vibrates, it transmits that sound into the pickups, which then send that through the wires, through the guitar's electronics, the volume and tone control knobs, and then out through your instrument cable and into an amplifier. So the pickups are a huge part of why a guitar sounds the way that it does and why each of these four guitars sounds pretty different. For example, both Fender guitar types use thinner, brighter single coil pickups, while both Gibson guitar types use fatter, warmer humbuckers, so they have really different tonal characteristics right out of the gate. Now, most guitars and And three of the four guitars that I'm talking about on this episode have two pickups. So there's one up by the 
neck, which is up next to the fretboard, sort of to the left-hand side of the guitar if you're playing right-handed. And there's one at the bridge, which is down toward the base of the guitar over to the right if you're playing right-handed. You then have a switch on the body of the guitar, which you can use to switch between pickups. You can change which pickup is outputting down the cable to the amp. On a two-pickup guitar, you have a three-way switch. That means you can output from just the neck pickup or just the bridge pickup or you can go to the middle position which blends the two pickups. Pickup selection is at the heart of tone. It's how guitarists get the kind of tone that they want for a given part of a song or for a given piece of music. And it's how a player can switch from creamy, blendy rhythm parts to bitey, sharp lead parts without switching to a different guitar. The pickup switch is huge, and being fluent with those different sounds and kind of mastering those tones is a big part of getting good at the guitar. So as a general rule, the neck pickup, which is the one that's up toward the fretboard on the left side, that one's mellow and warmer sounding. The bridge pickup, which is closer to the base of the string, that gets a harsher sound with more attack. Guitarists commonly call the bridge pickup sound bite. So if you ever get them mixed up, just remember bridge bite or maybe bridge bright. And that's how you can remember which one is the bright one and which is the mellow one. Let me just demonstrate on my Telecaster for a second. I know we're talking about the Strat and we'll get back to it in a moment, but because the Telecaster is more simple and just has the two pickups, let me demonstrate what they sound like. So here is the more mellow neck pickup on my Tele. And then here's the middle, which is bright, but not overly bright. And then here's the bridge pickup, a famous sound on the Telecaster, kind of the Dracula of guitar sounds. It is famously bitey. So most guitars have two pickups, like I said, and that brings us back to the Strat. The Strat is unique because the Stratocaster has three pickups, a neck, a middle, and a bridge pickup. The upshot is that the Strat has a bunch of different possible sounds. It has a bright and crunchy bridge pickup that's great, especially with overdrive. It's a little thin otherwise, but it sounds pretty good with some drive. And then on the other end, there's that thick, tubey neck pickup. That's by far the preferred tone of the instrument for a lot of people. There, there are a lot of players who basically just set their Strat to the neck position and break off the pickup selector because that's the only one they ever use, and it's a fantastic sound. But actually, the most stratty sounds are the in-between positions, the ones that only the Strat can do because it has those three pickups. Those are known as the second and fourth positions on the pickup selector. The guitar combines the middle pickup with either the neck or the bridge pickup, and it makes this kind of scooped, quacky sound because there's some phase cancellation going on. I don't need to get into it. Basically, the fourth position is the more mellow one. Sounds really good if you're just playing with your fingers. It's kind of the John Mayer sound. Uh, Corey Wong, another contemporary player, very fond of the in-between positions and gets a lot of mileage out of that fourth position.
Hendrix also uses the fourth position on Little Wing, one of his most famous guitar solos, actually a solo that I just learned. And I hesitate to say that this is position four definitively, since Jimmy is famous for basically never using those when he played live. He basically just used the neck pickup for 90% of everything. But I don't know, this sounds like position four to me or position two. It has that kind of quacky, stratty sound. So I might be wrong. That's just what I hear when I listen to it and when I play it. And the second position is much brighter because it's combining the middle and bridge pickups. It just got that kind of twangy pop to it. You'll hear it in a ton of different songs. This is the most recognizably stratty sound. Probably the most famous version of this is on Sweet Home Alabama. That is just a quintessential Strat sound. As for strong songs I've talked about on the show, the Strat has definitely turned up from time to time. You can hear a Strat really clearly, the rhythm Strat in that second position on the chorus to Madonna's Like a Prayer. Very distinctive, very Stratty sound. And just for another example of a recording that some of you might know, uh, on the triple click theme from my other podcast, I was going for a sort of 80s pop Strat sound, and I really played the whole thing in that second position on a Strat. And then a very different flavor of Strat turns up on Hearts Barracuda, another song that I've talked about on the show. Roger Fisher uses the Strat whammy bar there to kind of jimmy the tone and get that classic rock Strat overdriven sound. Of course, another famous Strat player that I've talked about on the show is Pink Floyd's David Gilmore, who combined the Strat with a delay effect to get those creamy leads on time. It's such a cool tone. Thanks to David Gilmore and, of course, Jimi Hendrix, the Strat seems like the go-to guitar for a lot of psychedelic rock players, and it's just become totally inextricable from that sound. And for one more 80s pop classic, just this year I talked about another great Strat player on another great, very Stratty song, Roland Orzabal in his terrific middle position rhythm playing on Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. So that's the Strat. It's a guitar that's been on a billion records. It'll doubtless turn up on a billion more. It's one of the most distinctive sounding guitars out there, and it's a really fun one to play. I love playing Strat, and I'd say that if the Strat has a weakness, it's in that. It's in how distinctive it sounds. There are so many famous Strat players. Hendrix, Mark Knopfler, Eric Clapton, David Gilmour, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Eddie Van Halen. So many famous guitar players played Strat, and as a result, it's hard not to play the Strat and start playing like 
strat stuff, if that makes sense. A strat sounds really good, but it really sounds like a strat when you're playing one. So in this sort of paradox, the strat became ubiquitous because it's so versatile, but its ubiquitousness has made it so recognizable that in some ways it's a little bit less versatile. And that brings us to the second Fender guitar I want to talk about, the Telecaster. So the Telecaster is another famous, very common guitar. It was introduced in 1950. It was initially called the Broadcaster. So that was four years before Fender introduced the Stratocaster, and it's an even simpler guitar. That simplicity is a big part of its appeal, even today, all these years later. It's got two single coil pickups, one in the neck, one in the bridge. That's compared with the Strat's three, and that means it's got fewer bells and whistles. There's only one tone knob, only three spots on the pickup selector switch. But that relatively straightforward, bright, biting twang that it gets makes it a really versatile guitar. So the Telecaster is certainly associated with country music. Luther Perkins' guitar solo on Folsom Prison Blues with Johnny Cash. It's a very famous Telecaster solo there on the bridge pickup. Modern country players also get a lot of mileage out of the instrument. Brad Paisley is a great example of a super burning modern player. He'll play a B bender Telecaster where it's a whole thing, but basically you can just bend the B string, which lets you kind of sound like a pedal steel guitar a little bit and lets you do all kinds of cool stuff. Brad Paisley is great if you haven't listened to him. Uh, he's a lot of fun. Check him out. So that's the Telecaster's reputation. It is commonly known as a country music guitar. It's got that twangy sound. The way that it responds to overdrive really works well with that sort of country overdriven guitar sound. But the thing is, the Telecaster can actually do a ton of different sounds, and in the hands of the right player, it can go way beyond the world of chicken picking country, as great as it is at that style. So to go back through strong songs a bit, well, first there's Jeff Buckley. Jeff Buckley was a famous Telecaster player. He got some beautiful clear tones out of the Telecaster's neck pickup. These chimey, bell-like sounds, they give him so much space up top, especially in those alternate tunings that he'd use. Like on Last Goodbye, which is the song that I talked about, but actually you can really hear that Telecaster sound on Grace when he plays in Drop D. Really a beautiful Telecaster sound on that song. So that's that kind of open indie rock sound. You'll hear that a lot. A lot of indie rock bands play Telecasters. And then there's Prince. You know that funky guitar part on Kiss? <laughs> Look, it had been a little while since I had played that sound on Strong Songs, and I did make a vow that I would play the beginning of Kiss and Prince making that sound at least once a year. So, so that was our once. Okay, twice. Anyway, that is a Telecaster. Prince was famous for playing a Telecaster, and the Telecaster turns up on a lot of funk recordings. You know, the Strat's a great funk guitar. It's got that kind of funky, quacky sound, but the Tele's in a ton of funk bands, a lot of funk recordings, and Prince really knew how to make the Telecaster. Really, he knew how to make it make a whole lot of different sounds, but he was very good at making it funky. Oh, 
then to keep going through past strong songs, there's Telecaster on a third one, and it's maybe an unexpected place to find a Telecaster. Led Zeppelin's Jimmy Page. He was a famous Les Paul player, the gritty, thick Gibson Les Paul, a guitar that I'm going to talk about in a minute, but that legendary solo on Stairway to Heaven, that was actually a Telecaster, not a Les Paul. And you can hear it if you listen. It's got that Tele spark, that signature bite. So yeah, that's the strength of the Telecaster to me. It sounds kind of like the Ur guitar. It's just what a guitar sounds like to me. And that means it can be used for just about any style of music. You'll hear jazz players. Julian Lange plays the Telecaster often in the neck position. It's got that great, warm, jazzy sound. Loads of blues musicians play them. They even turn up in some harder rock music, verging towards heavy metal. It's also a really simple guitar, so it's easy to modify it. You'll definitely see Telecasters with fatter humbucker pickups, which make it sound more like a Gibson. Johnny Greenwood, actually the guitarist from Radiohead, used a Telecaster Plus that has humbuckers on Paranoid Android, another strong song. So that's definitely one way to get a harder sound out of a Telecaster. Also, people will carve out a semi-hollow nook and you get a thin-line Telecaster. That gives it more sustain and body. Sounds a little more like a 335. It's even better for jazz. Those are beautiful-sounding guitars. Really, the Telecaster is an amazing instrument for how simple it is. It can do so many different things. And if I had to play just one guitar for the rest of my life, okay, I'm not actually sure what I would pick, but a Telecaster would be right up there. It was the first electric guitar I ever got. It's the electric guitar that I learned on. I will always own one, and I'll always find a use for one in any recording that I'm making. So that's two guitars down. Now it's time to enter the world of Gibson. First of all, with the most famous Gibson guitar, the legendary Les Paul. sold in 1952. The version that we know now with two humbucker pickups was introduced later on in the 1950s. This guitar is named for guitarist Les Paul. He was a very good guitarist. He endorsed the instrument and it was designed to be this big, heavy, woolly sounding guitar. And that's just what it is. Over the next few decades after the 50s, as overdriven amps and eventually overdrive and distortion pedals began to define the sound of the electric guitar, those heavy Gibson guitars with their big, thick, warm tones, they proved to themselves, particularly to Overdrive, and Les Pauls have featured in a bunch of legendary rock bands in the 70s and the 1980s. The thing is, while the Les Paul has a reputation for that super punchy, biting sound, you especially get that if you play it on the brighter bridge pickup, and I get that, it's a great, really distinct sound, but that's just one of the guitar's modes, and I actually think of the Les Paul just as much as this singing, lyrical instrument. It's a perfect melodic instrument, great for epic single note solos high up on the neck, and that's because of how glorious the neck pickup can sound. Way back when I recorded my first guitar outro solo for Strong Songs, I used the neck position Les Paul to get that soaring sound. So as for places you might have heard a Les Paul, well, if you listen to any rock or metal from the 70s or 80s, you've probably heard a Les Paul. Like I mentioned, Jimmy Page famously played a Les Paul. It wasn't his only guitar, but he played it on a bunch of famous Led Zeppelin recordings. 
It also actually turns up on harder stuff. Mastodon don't exclusively play Les Pauls by any stretch. They actually commonly play the Gibson Flying V, which is another one of those sort of second order guitars that's really popular and played by a bunch of people and has a distinct sound. Turns up in a lot of metal, but um, they also play Les Pauls and both of those guitars have a somewhat similar sound. And a tuned down Les Paul can definitely hang with something like Blood and Thunder, which I did an episode about. I used my Les Paul to cop some of those deep, heavy guitar tones. But as it happens, the Les Paul is actually turned up on strong songs, more commonly in that other, more lyrical mode. There's Mick Ronson's guitar solo on David Bowie's Starman. It's a little bit brighter than some of these other solos. He's probably in the middle or bridge pickup position. And there's Ian Berenson's outro solo on Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights. There it is again, that classic singing Les Paul sound. There's Jeff Lynn's solo on Mr. Blue Sky, neck pickup again on that gold top Les Paul that he liked to play. I love this song so much. I wish I could do another episode on this song. And I haven't done an episode on this band yet, but I will just mention Slash from Guns N' Roses as another iconic Les Paul player. He was a guy who could really make the most of that guitar's soaring lyrical qualities. That sound, that to me is the identifying sound of a Les Paul on a supper register. has this voice that sounds like a human being. So that's the Les Paul. It's probably the guitar that I play the least of the four electric guitars that I own, since it is good for harder rock and I don't play that much super high gain stuff, but also it's just the perfect sound when you want that singing, soaring, melodic solo tone, and when I need that sound, I'm really glad that I have it. And that brings us to the last of the four guitars I'm going to be talking about, the Gibson ES-335, or just the Gibson 335. The ES stands for Electric Spanish Guitar because that was the designation Gibson gave to this series when they introduced them in 1958. Unlike the other three guitars I talked about, the 335 is a semi-hollow body. That means the sides of the guitar's body are hollow, it even has F-holes along the wings, sort of like a violin or a cello, but there's a solid block of wood down the middle which gives it a more solid center to its tone and keeps it from just being a thin acoustic guitar. So I've talked about the 335 a few times on the show, and you'll actually hear a 335 every time you listen to an episode of Strong Songs, because on the outro theme song, that little guitar riff that plays during the fade up, that's a 335. The 
335 will always have a special place in my heart. I'm not totally sure why that is. I grew up playing with a lot of jazz guitarists. It's been a type of guitar and a guitar sound that I've always associated just with the guitar. That rounder sound really lends itself to jazz. I don't know. There's just something about the 335 that makes me very happy. I really like how it feels when I'm playing it. It's very light because it's semi-hollow body, so it's really pleasant to just wear it on a strap and play it. It's also a pretty large guitar just in terms of size, and I'm a tall guy, so it sort of fits in a nice way just onto me when I'm playing it. I don't know, I just really like it. Every time I've been playing a different guitar and I go back to my 335, it just kind of feels like coming home. So when I talk about the 335, I'm really using that as a stand-in for any semi-hollow-body electric guitar. There are lots of different companies that make them. Gretsch makes a really nice one. They make nice semi-hollow-body guitars. Heritage and Ibanez, I know they both make good 335-type guitars. As I mentioned before, Sire, Eastman, Epiphone. And this type of guitar is basically the polar opposite of a Stratocaster. It's big, it's warm, it's thick. But despite that, it's actually more versatile than it may seem, and that's borne out in some of the strong songs that I've talked about on this show that have featured 335s or 335-type guitars. So of course there's Larry Carlton's beautiful playing on Joni Mitchell's Help Me, which I did an episode about, and that's some pretty classic 335 tone on that. I was really happy to get to recreate that just because it's so pleasant to play with that clear, ringing, round sound up on the neck on a 335. Larry Carlton is actually known as Mr. 335. That's his nickname because of his affinity for the instrument over the years, and he can get all kinds of sounds out of it. Another famous solo of his is the one that he took on Steely Dan's Kid Charlemagne in 1976. That solo is incredible, and I've actually transcribed and learned the entire thing since I recorded this episode as a bonus episode, and that's one of the things that I'm going to be talking about on the show in the near future. So stay tuned for that. It's a very, very cool solo, both in terms of of guitar theory and also just as a solo it's really really well put together Of course, just like with all of these guitars, depending on how you play, what kind of amp you use, what kind of pedals you use, you can get so many different sounds with a 335. It is good for jazz, but far from limited to jazz, as evidenced by a lot of the other places that it's turned up in songs that I've talked about on Strong Songs. First up, there's Earth, Wind & Fire's tune, September. Al McKay played guitar with Earth, Wind & Fire. He played a 335 a lot of the time, and he demonstrated how with the right touch and the right style, a big, warm guitar like a 335 can still work for funky dance stuff. Like I talked about in that episode, I'm not sure if every guitar on that track is a 335, that little... That sounds a little bit like a Telecaster to me, but it's in there, and if you listen to the isolated stems, you can even hear they kind of mic'd the strings on the guitar too, which makes sense because if you play a semi-hollow body guitar totally unamplified, it's actually a lot louder than other guitars because it's semi-hollow body, so it kind of sounds like an acoustic guitar, and you can mic it in a certain way. If you mic the amp and you mic the guitar, you get a pretty cool sound.
Okay, it doesn't really sound like an acoustic guitar. It just sounds a little more like an acoustic guitar than most electric guitars when you play them unamplified. So the 335 can do jazz, it can do funk, but really the 335 is the rock and roll guitar. It was the guitar that invented rock and roll, the instrument that Chuck Berry played on a lot of his original recordings, and it has got a real growl to it. So it's nice for funk. It can be nice and restrained and beautiful, but there's a beast in there that can be unleashed. It takes distortion really well, aside from the fact that it can feed back if you get too hot, too high gain, since the open body starts resonating with the amp, and you can get some pretty nasty feedback loops, or some pretty cool feedback loops if you're into feedback in your music. But the last band that I've covered that used semi-hollow guitars are actually Queens of the Stone Age, that dank, swampy, desert rock sound that they get. Can desert rock be swampy? Well, it's kind of swampy, and it was made in the desert, so you know what I mean. That dank sound that they get, that's coming from semi-hollow body guitars. That guitar tone really defines a lot of that band's sound. So yet another tonal possibility for the 335, and in that distorted sound, kind of the original sound of the 335. It's a guitar that, just like the other ones that I've talked about on this episode, has its popular uses and its iconic sounds, but in the hands of the right player, can be transformed into just about anything for any style of music. The Stratocaster, the Telecaster, the Les Paul, and the 335, Each of those guitars is super fun to play. Each one is more flexible than you might initially think, or at least than I initially thought when I started playing them. And each one has played a role in my development as a guitarist, which is something that I'm going to be talking about a little bit more in the near future with a focus on some pretty cool guitar solos that I've learned over the last year. For now, I hope you enjoyed this crash course in some of the guitar sounds you've all heard on various episodes of Strong Songs. And hey, if you enjoyed it, I hope that you'll consider becoming a patron and supporting the creation of the show over at patreon.com slash strong songs. I've got some fun episodes in the pipeline for you all. Lots of cool and varied music to talk about. And I've also gotten some great listener outro solos that I'm going to be including in those episodes. So just as a reminder, if you want to take a crack at an outro solo, there is a link to a play along down in the show notes. All right, that'll do it for me for now. Take care and keep listening. Tune up your guitars and keep your amps on standby. And I'll see you in two weeks with yet another episode of Strong Songs. Thank you.